Medical disparities are seen more and more in our minority groups in the United States. Do we have an answer? What are we going to do about it? I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and today my guest is Dr. James Webster, professor of medicine at the Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, the executive director of the Institute of Medicine of Chicago, and president of the Chicago Board of Health. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you very much for the invitation. Glad to be here. Dr. Webster, to begin with, what is the problem? Why are we spending so much time talking about medical disparities in our minority groups in the United States? The problem is that there's lots of data that indicates that minority groups get much worse quality of care. This is due to multiple factors, but the reality comes that their outcomes are likely to be substantially worse. In fact, they are substantially worse in many areas of care. And if we want to improve the overall care of our country, this is low-hanging fruit. If we improve the quality of care we give minorities, the overall level will go up in the country as well as the patients will be beneficiaries of this. Initially, I would respond by saying that the reason this exists is that they're uninsured or that they're in the lower part of the socioeconomic part of our country. But New England Journal reported in 2004 when I looked this up that this wasn't the case, that people in the upper middle class and upperly mobile part of our minority groups still had trouble getting non-emergency admissions, seeing a specialist, and getting diagnostic imaging tests done. Why does this exist then if we eliminate what I thought would be a ready answer? Well, this is very interesting, and you're absolutely correct. I had the same prejudices a few years ago, saying that the big problem is if we could just get everybody insured, the problem would go away, and it doesn't. Minority patients who have just as good health insurance as the general population do not get the same level of care. Multiple reasons. One is even if you have insurance, either in reality or in perception, you do not have access to the best and wonderful things that our country's medical system can provide. If you live in a community where the hospitals are under-resourced, you're not going to get the same level of care as if you live next to some fancy academic medical center in one of the major cities. It's just not going to happen. There also are, if you will, historical perceptions by minorities, which gets in the way of their getting the same level of care as the general population. I think this brings up the subject of inverse care law, which I've heard you speak on. It certainly does. The inverse care law was promulgated in 1971 by a GP in Great Britain who was working in a rural part of Wales where he felt he had no resources and no access to specialists, and he contrasted what he was trying to do with these minors as compared to what happened on Harley Street in London. But certainly, if you think of our experiences, we all know that there are areas around most urban areas and other places, too, where specialists abound where physicians are competing, if you will, for patients. And yet at the same time, there are under-resourced areas. If you go to the south or west side of my own city of Chicago, you're going to find that it's very difficult to get a specialty referral in a timely manner for a patient who urgently needs one. And then it's an educational issue. All the things that we take for granted, for example, the preventive 
interventions such as colonoscopies and mammograms, etc. These are not things that are well received by minority patients because of history, because of education. Well, with minorities growing rapidly, are we adapting? Is our healthcare workforce changing to meet this need? Yes and no. How's that for a That's lovely good. answer? That's good. Sounds um, like me. The problem is that we have a workforce that is predominantly not minority. If you look, nurses, physicians, mental health workers, whatever, the numbers are 7 or 8% of the health workforce, whereas in our country today, as you pointed out, about 27% of our country is now minorities, so that we have a mismatch. The graduates of our current medical and nursing schools and what have you are well-equipped to deal with the sort of stuff we're talking about here. They get lots of training in cultural competency, medical sociology, etc. However, those of us who have graduated not in the recent past need a refresher course and need to really just think about what we do and recognize our own cultural backgrounds. We all have our own ethnicities, and we should appreciate that when we come into the clinical situation, we bring with us uh, our own historical background, our own biases, and it's important that we face up to those and somehow wipe them out when we're trying to give the best we can to all our patients. I remember personally uh, being in a crowded elevator in a municipal hospital and looking over at a very charming child of a Hispanic mother and saying, what a beautiful child you had. Shortly thereafter, the mother seemed to become agitated, and it took a nurse to tell me that I had probably given the evil eye to the child by complimenting the child, which is certainly something that we all do every day. I had not touched the child. I had not reached out and said, yes, you have a beautiful child, and touched the child. This is certainly not something that I would do in another culture. Frequently, I don't reach out, touch patients. It seems sometimes an invasion of their privacy. But in this culture, it certainly was acceptable. I had missed it and was one of those older doctors who was not educated. So how does somebody who is like myself, who is now aware of these things, become somewhat self-reflective about his own biases and prejudices? I love your story. Malda Ojo is a very real thing in the Latino culture. And it's very tough. Certainly my colleagues who come from other cultures have taught me a great deal. I'm sure I still put my, literally or figuratively, sometimes probably, put my foot in my mouth or don't make the right nonverbal cue, etc. I think there are things, however, that particularly if you are dealing with a Latino or an African-American population, some frank discussions with your colleagues who come from that culture are very eye-opening and are very useful. I mean, we all are used to developing trust, to communicating clearly, but we need to have, as you pointed out, we need to have some special lessons in the specifics of uh, these various cultures as they interact with each other and with us. And there, of course, I think it's important to realize that For example, Spanish is a language. It's not a culture. In Chicago, for example, the Hispanic culture from Mexico is very different 
in the Puerto Rican culture, and I know what parts of the city are predominantly Mexican-Americans and which part are Puerto Rican-Americans, and they have different music, they have different food, their accents are even different, and even I can tell them apart now to listen to them talk. So there are just a lot of cues, and I don't think we should expect that we are going to understand every culture all the time, particularly in a multicultural city like Chicago, but I think it's important that we give them the respect and dignity that they have a right to expect from us. And if we make a mistake, I just apologize. But yes, there are very important lessons that we can all learn. And just use that as part of our armamentarium when we are dealing with patients from different cultures. It's not that hard, but you have to stop and think about it. and, And we have to realize what baggage we bring to the clinical encounter as well. If you're just joining us, you're listening to a special segment, Ethics and Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and today our guest is Dr. James Webster, Professor of Medicine at the Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, and we're talking about health disparities in minority groups. Are there any special tools that we can learn that might help us dealing first with the Hispanic population, and then maybe we will talk about other special tools that we should be aware of in the African-American population. Well, again, talking about race in our country today is a very sensitive topic. I think the important thing is the idea that, A, as I mentioned, you should recognize your own biases, and B, we should avoid stereotyping. Uh, I'm sure we all have For example, Latino acquaintances who are bank, I know I do, a bank president, a lawyer who is a very prominent health expert, etc., so that all Latinos are not recent immigrants to this country, etc. I think it's also important, for example, as you pointed out, that we try to understand folk medicine and folk healers are still very prevalent in uh, many first and second generation Mexicans, for example, and you have to ask the patient, what are you doing about this, or what did you have your child do about this, because they may be seeing the folk healer at the same time they are seeing you. Again, as I said, respect, though, is very important. The idea of giving respect and shaking hands and explaining who you are These are all things that we should do for all patients, but are particularly important, for example, for a Latino population. And the same way, the African-American populations and their interactions with the medical system have not had a great history, as you all know. Uh, It starts long before Tuskegee, but the Tuskegee experiments didn't help things much. But the African-American population has had so much prejudice and so much, if you will, neglect and abuse from the medical establishment that they are very wary. And this is one reason, for example, why we sometimes have problems getting them to accept the idea of a colonoscopy. I mean, there's lots of good evidence that African Americans probably have more colon cancer than the general population. They have more polyps, certainly. And yet, to get them to accept the idea of a screening colonoscopy may be very difficult. Now, for that, for example, the idea of using peer groups is wonderful. In Chicago, Eric Whitaker, who was the head of the Illinois Department of Public Health that is now at the University of Chicago, is famous for 
training barbers to give information about prostate cancer because the African-American barbershop is really a sort of a center for African-American males where they hang out and get a lot of their networking interactions. And this was a terrific strategy, and it did mean that we got a lot more PSAs and got a lot more diagnoses of prostate cancer, much more than a 100 lectures by yours truly would ever have done was just to get these guys talking with somebody they trusted and a peer group interaction so that this is a sort of strategy that sometimes will help with African Americans. And it's important, again, as I said, respect goes such a long way and people who feel they have been disrespected all their life. And it's something that we just have to remember. Hopefully we do it for all our patients, but it's particularly important for minorities. With so few people going into primary care, who is going to provide the care to our minority groups? Well, there's good data that a patient-centered medical home where you have a team of individuals working gives better care and gives, if you will, the doctors uh, an opportunity to use the things that they do best. Much of the health maintenance, the preventive care, and the routine care can certainly be well given by nurse practitioners and nurses, and they do a much better job of it than physicians do because they will take the time, and frequently the patients are more, if you will, willing to uh, ask them questions than they are the physician who is still regarded as a very authoritarian figure by many minorities. The patients are more comfortable talking things over with a nurse or a nurse practitioner or whomever. So that the physician then is left to deal with complications of the illness complex medical problems, new diagnoses, the things that physicians really do best are magnified if the care is given as part of a team of professionals. This is an answer that may help deal with the medical disparities that exist in our minority groups. And I want to thank Dr. James Webster for being our guest. And we've been talking about health disparities in the United States. This has been a special segment on ethics and medicine. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, To listen to our on-demand library, visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.